This is episode 100 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, Podcasting versus Publishing, Either, Neither, or Both. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. On this, our 100th episode, I thought I would turn to a different topic. I've been thinking about how people might be spending their time during the pandemic, and it occurred to me that people might be thinking of projects that have kind of been on the back burner for a while. Maybe there's a book that they've been meaning to write, or maybe they've been toying with the idea of starting a podcast. And since I've done now uh, some of both, I thought I would share my thoughts about two things. One is reach, and one is the difficulty. In a way, publishing is a kind of podcasting, right? And podcasting is a kind of publishing. But I wanted to contrast here the idea of getting your message or your thoughts or your experiences out in the written form versus the verbal form. And I'm not going to talk about the economics of the two, just to make that clear up front. I can talk a lot about the economics of book publishing, as probably merits a whole other podcast. But I have not attempted to monetize my podcast yet. I've really been focused on getting better and building an audience. And so I can't, I can talk about how much it's cost me, which is very little. Uh, but I can't talk yet about how much money I might make from it compared to my book projects, which definitely were undertaken with the idea of not only getting my experiences and my advice out in the world, but also as a way to make money. All right, let's talk about reach. And in books, it this can be a real challenge. We know that we've got about a million books that are published each year now. We've had a huge increase after the influx of self-publishing, as you know. And we've got about 13 million titles that are available on back order. That is a huge volume of literature that, at this point, you'd have to argue, has really saturated the market. Now, there are a lot of Print books sold each year, 675 million are sold each year, and then ebooks and audiobooks come on top of that. The trouble is, if everyone is reading the same 20 books a year, which that's probably a lot for some readers, then that's not going to get your book out into the hands where you would like to have it. And I'm really going to drive this point home. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Your book unless you are a well-known person or get extremely lucky or, or, or all these other things that could possibly happen, but the likelihood is, is that your book will sell very few copies and probably only sell to people that you know. 
There are statistics out there that say 87% of books sell less than 100 copies. And I hope I can hear a sharp intake of breath as you hear that, because that does go against the ideas that people have when they first think about writing a book and the kind of reach that it will have. It's likely not to have much of a reach. Every topic is overwritten now. The market is completely saturated in almost any topic that you can think to write about. Now, that's not to say that there couldn't be an audience for your book. And I do believe that every person has an interesting story to tell, and we owe it to ourselves and to our community and our society to get our words out there. But we have to recognize what a struggle it's going to be. I belong to the publishers and writers of San Diego Group, and over and over and over in the many years now that I've belonged to that group, I see new authors come in fired up, they have their new book, they're super excited, and you look at the book and it's just, uh, uh, uh. You know, there's just a lack of understanding of how hard it's going to be. And most books don't differentiate themselves. They write, they put out generic content. They're not very well written. And they are going to have a very hard time in the marketplace. There really has to be something fairly exceptional about the book for it to get much attention. I am a reviewer on NetGalley, so I see a lot of early... Uh, publications. And I have to say, it's kind of the same there, even with, you know, good traditional publishers. There are a lot of books that just are kind of blah. So it's really hard to write a really good book. That's what I'm trying to say here. And remember that the competition isn't necessarily other books. The competition is really people's time and their ability to focus and their eyeballs. So really you're competing with Netflix and Fortnite and any number of activities that people are engaging in other than reading. Okay, now I can't just stop there and say, oh, boo-hoo, this is a terrible situation. I just want you to have realistic expectations. Are there ways to overcome this? Yes, and the experts will tell you Develop your audience first. Build a tribe. Have a blog. Become famous. Build your network. Have an email list. Go on television. Hey, that's all great advice, but that's hard to do unless you've been planning to write a book for 10 years and have spent all your time building up for the the, uh, eventual publication. I would think about your reader, your potential reader. Where is that person? What are they going to be looking for? Where will they look for your book? So a lot of times, events that are associated with the book can be helpful, or if you have speaking engagements, or you also run a a business alongside your book, I would think about how your reader will want to consume your book. And so multiple formats could do very well. For me, for my first book, The Discreet Guide for Executive Women, How to Work Well with Men and Other Difficulties. This was my book that was based on my experiences in the corporate world that I wanted to share with the world. And it came out a year before Lean In did. It actually did fairly well considering that. 
but I did make it available in multiple formats. It was everywhere. I put it out as a print book, an ebook, an audio book. I sold a little uh, audio version of it on uh, USB drives. I really tried to make it widely available to people, and then I advertised a lot. And this problem with reach is a problem for both traditional publishers and for quote-unquote self-publishers or small press. Okay, so now let's talk about podcasts, because here the world is a little more forgiving, I would say. We've got about 900,000 podcasts worldwide, so some of those are not in English, which won't uh, affect you anyway. There are about 30 million episodes out there, but you know, episodes are, they're kind of quickly consumed. And a lot of people who are heavy uh, podcast listeners consume an enormous amount of uh, podcasts on a weekly basis. You know, they just have those podcasts going all the time while they're working. There are over 100 million podcast listeners just in the U.S., and it's growing very fast as people are discovering more podcasts. Podcasts are differentiating themselves, so they're finding their niche audiences. And if this is a target market for you, uh, we're getting lots and lots more female listeners than we used to have. And I think it's interesting that one of the top 10 reasons people give for not listening is they don't know how. And this is probably one of the more common things that I hear. You know, I'm an older uh, woman podcasting. I'm not too typical a 30-year-old male tech guy uh, podcasting. And so people who are going to be interested in listening to my podcast are often people like me. And although I am uh, a podcast fan, a lot of them say, how do I find your podcast? I don't listen to podcasts. And so there's kind of a technical hurdle that they have to overcome. That's going to change. So if that is your target audience, I think that could be very interesting for you and very encouraging that that would be a way to achieve the reach that you want. Assuming that your objective, again, as we're talking about on this episode, is to reach people with your message, that that's your, that's your goal. You want to get your words and your message, your experience, and uh, your advice out to as many people as possible. Let's talk about difficulty. This is, I would say, uh, there are kind of a couple different ways you can cut it here. So on one hand, you could argue books are really hard because it's really hard to create a high-quality book. First of all, the writing is very difficult, and frankly, there just aren't very many good writers out there. Every element of that book is important for your reader, from the cover to the interior design to whether or not you've got a good editor, whether or not you create an index, all kinds of little things that help the reader enjoy and consume your book. And The devil is really in the details when it comes to books. So it's really hard, right? In general, the barrier to entry is very high. If you want to go the traditional publishing route, you're going to need an agent. Very hard to get. You're going to need a publisher. Very hard to get. You're going to need a distributor with worldwide reach. Very hard to get. So that's all very hard. Now, if you decide to go the do-it-yourself route, which is what I ended up doing, if you want to produce a high-quality book, prepare to have to learn a lot, right? It's going to be like 
creating a new business where you have to get educated, uh, figure out what your options are, select your vendors, make your investments wisely, yada, yada. Whistling Rabbit Press, which is my publishing company, has just published its seventh book, which is Corinne Davis's Useful Questions book that uh, we'll talk about in another episode uh, this week. After seven, I feel as though now I have some understanding of the vendors that I want to use that aren't going to cost me an arm and a leg and that do good quality work so that I can produce a book that I feel is competitive on the shelf with other books. It's not that it's easy, but I would say it gets easier as you go along. And remember that there are a lot of ripoff artists out there who want to take your money and give you a book that may or may not be competitive, but will have cost you thousands of dollars, and you will never make that money back because you're just not going to sell enough to create that much profit for yourself. It's kind of like Mark Twain talked about mining. You don't make money at mining. You make money at mining by selling other people mining claims, and that's how you make money in publishing and in the publishing space is by publishing somebody else's book, some dreamer, and charging them thousands of dollars. So I I really hope that you don't fall prey to that. It makes me very unhappy to have these people out there who are basically ripping people off. Now, there's another route that you can go besides paying some charlatan thousands of dollars and having them take care of everything for you, and that is you can essentially dump your manuscript into a self-publishing service. Amazon used to have CreateSpace. Now they call it KDP Print or something like that. Um, The company that I use, which is a division of Ingram, has a publishing arm called Ingram Spark. And again, you can, for fairly low cost, just dump your manuscript on them, and sure enough, they will produce a book for you. So it's a low barrier to entry, isn't going to cost you a whole bunch, but again, I just don't know if you're going to be happy with the book that comes out. It's just not going to look pro, and once you have that book in your hand, then what do you do, right? How do you distribute it? How is it going to reach readers, Uh, It's much harder to reach your potential audience than these types of services will lead you to believe because, remember, the market is so saturated. There are just zillions of books out there that will look a lot like yours. Your sales will reflect the effort you put into it. And so think of whether or not you're really willing to undertake a major project that could take a year of your time to really produce something that's high quality that you'll be proud of might cost you, you know, a goodly amount of money, even if you don't use the ripoff artists because you're going to have to pay for editor, interior design, yada, yada. When people tell you stories about exceptions and you will always hear about these, yeah, but so-and-so, yeah, but he, yeah, but, you know, Sometimes it's hard to get people to be very forthright about the finances behind their book. So that's something that you might have to think about. When people say they've sold thousands of copies of something, you might have to think, yeah, but were they selling it for 99 cents? Or when somebody tells you that they've made umpteen amount of money on a book, you might have to ask, well, how much did you invest in order to get that? I just find that The exceptions are not a useful way of thinking about how your book might do. 
Now, podcasting is kind of the same and also different. So similar to hurling your stuff up on uh, CreateSpace or a service like that, you can throw a bunch of words up onto a service like Anchor or other podcast hosting services for little cost and little effort. But again, it's probably not going to reach very many people. How are they going to find out about it? And if it's just a bunch of informal words that have been put up there and the show doesn't sound very professionally produced, are they going to listen? Are they going to become a fan of the show? Or are they just going to check it out once and then go off and do something else? Again, if you want to produce a high-quality show, prepare to teach yourself a lot more about equipment, about hosting sites, about software that you're going to have to use to master your files, how you're going to reach guests, if you're going to have guests, all the little things that go into creating and producing a a nice show. Uh, There are courses out there that you can take, and there's lots and lots of information on the internet. But you know, it's time-consuming to go through all that stuff and figure out who really knows what and who's just trying to sell you something. Uh, So there's some investment into it, I would say, though nothing like I've had to do for the books. So the barrier to entry as far as cost goes for podcasting is less. The challenge with podcasting I think, is the need for content, so for kind of continuous content. Unlike a book, where once you've finished it and published it, you're done. I mean, you have to uh, keep promoting it, or you may want to give talks, or you may want to keep selling it on your website. You know, there's probably some ongoing maintenance that's needed, but nothing like a podcast. For podcast, you have to keep feeding the beast. And many shows kind of fall off after a few episodes because of that. People may not have that much to say, or they got tired of the work that it took to do it. There's an interesting story that I read on the internet about a woman who started a podcast about art. And she and a partner started it, and you know they were very gung-ho for a while, and the episodes were just lovely, you know, really interesting investigations into new kinds of art or artists. Uh, But they worked really hard on their shows. They got good guests on. They did a lot of research. You know, that's also a big part of it, developing good questions for your guests, reading, investigating. And she said she just found that over time it got harder and harder to produce the show. And she said, I came to resent my podcast. And I thought, ooh, that's really something to consider. I think with a podcast, I've been doing my podcast now since January of 2019, so wherever we are, 15 months, something like that, and obviously I'm at my 100th episode now. I think one thing with podcasting is that it's important to be able to pivot so that you don't fall into a rut. So my show, I started as an advice show, kind of a write-in, call-in advice show for people who had problems at work. And it became clear that that was interesting for a while, but I found that some of the problems became repetitive, and sometimes they were simply too complicated to address in a single episode. So then I moved to getting more guests, and then I started getting more authors who could talk in general about issues around work, and then various experts on all kinds of work-related topics that were interesting to me. And I think that's a really key point because that's what kept my zest for the podcast up was 
hey, I'm going to get somebody on this show, and I'm going to get to ask them all kinds of things, and I'm going to learn something. Now, it's possible that by doing this, I've given my audience whiplash, um, but it does keep the content fresh for me, and I definitely don't resent my podcast. This last week was kind of strange. It was our first week in quarantine for uh, in California for the pandemic, and I had a couple of podcasts kind of on hold that I thought would be appropriate. Both of them were funny, which I thought could be helpful during a period like that. But as this next week came along, I started feeling kind of uncomfortable, like not acknowledging that we were in a pandemic seemed a little weird. And it made my podcast feel a little oblivious and maybe irrelevant. So I kind of reviewed where I was with the podcast and went to a different approach uh, for this past week. And that was to go to short daily episodes posted very early in the morning so people could just get a quick hit about things that were going on about the pandemic, whether it's productivity during the pandemic, how the new sick leave rules are applying to uh, employers, or, you know, a couple of other kind of Uh, work-related, but also pandemic-related issues. And that felt a lot better to me. The first week of the pandemic, my downloads did fall off a lot, uh, but they came back big time in the second week. So I I think that was a sign that I was doing a little better in that second week with putting out material that people could relate to. One possibility might be to think about that your podcast might have a finite life. And that might help you kind of organize it better so that, you know, at the beginning for the first year, it's probably going to be very time consuming, maybe even similar to as much as time consuming as a book would be. But that might go down as you get more efficient. Certainly it has for me. But unlike a book, you have to keep uh, maintaining it. You know, so that can continue to eat away at your time. So you might think to yourself, I want to do a podcast for two years or a year or six months, and that might make it more manageable. Let's talk about impact, because that's probably the most important thing for people who are interested in putting their voices out into the world. And I would say, you know, it's kind of hard to know. Comparing books and podcasts are sort of like apples and oranges in a way. So books obviously last longer in the sense that they can sit on your shelf, they're visible, they're tangible, and they can have a long tail of sales. And books can come back, right? They can have a renaissance and become relevant again, even many years after their initial publication date. And so for people who buy them and keep them, they can be very meaningful, especially if they're given as a gift, or they're about a a topic that they're passionate about or about an area that they love. Podcasts feel more ephemeral to me because they're sort of just out in the air. Now, could your words have a big impact? Certainly so, right? I've certainly listened to shows that were uh, very mm, jaw-dropping kind of uh, moments for me. But it's also possible that your words are just going to be background to somebody folding laundry, right? And just be kind of a blah, blah in the background that they're not going to pay much attention to. There's probably more investment in a book. So potentially the possibility of having a big impact might be greater with a book. I don't know that there's a right answer depending on who you are. But if you want to start 
commenting on the world or uh, making your opinions known or having some kind of impact on the world, one thing you might try is doing a podcast first just to see what you think, just to see how that feels to kind of put your voice out there. On the other hand, if you know ultimately in your heart of hearts what you really want is a book, then maybe you want to turn your focus on to that first because there is a lot of investment or some investment, not so much financial, but certainly time investment in doing a podcast. And if that's not really where your heart is, then maybe you want to go right for the book. I will tell you that Whistling Rabbit Press, my company, uh, obviously started accepting manuscripts last year, and we're open to ideas. Uh, There's more information on our website, and I'm always happy to talk about publishing and books in general. So if you're interested in learning more about that, please get in touch through whistlingrabbitpress.com, whistlingrabbitpress, all one word, dot com. In any case, I wish you great luck with your creative projects uh, during the pandemic or otherwise. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreetguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care about you.